0: Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. It's happened to you. There's some things that are just hard to say, hard to get out of our mouths. When the brain does not line up with the mouth, it gets twisted We've been doing a series called Tongue Twisted, looking at some things in life that are hard to say. And last week, we looked at what is sometimes hard to say is that God is for us. The circumstance that we're in doesn't always seem like it, but by faith, we know that God is for us. Even though the circumstance doesn't look like it, We know that he's working all things together for our good. We know that he's for us. Why don't we just take a couple seconds right now and give God thanks that he is for us. That whatever you're walking through, he's not leaving you in. He's not forsaking you. He has already fought and won the battle. We have this hope and this victory in Jesus. Today we're going to look again at another uh, tongue twister, some things in life that might be hard to say. Isaiah chapter 5 is where we're going to look. If you would stand with me as you're turning there in Isaiah chapter 5, and let me just say as you're uh, standing for the word together, uh, I want to just say thank you to our 5 o'clockers who are here for the 11 o'clock. Uh, some of you don't know, we, we had a 5 o'clock service last week, was, was our final 5 o'clock service, and uh, I just want to say thank you, and uh, some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but just join me. Man, it warms our heart to see you here today. So would you welcome those from the 5 o'clock that are joining us here at the 11 today. Some of you are hard to find because I know where you sat in the 5 o'clock because it's a little easier to find you, but uh, I'm glad you're here today. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 18. Are you ready for the word? Yes. All right. Pastor Tim is. Good. Anybody else? Here's what it says. Chapter 5 verse 18. What sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. It's, it's deep. It's bad. It's, uh, um, what sorrows for them? They drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies. They drag wickedness behind them like a cart. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out His plan, for we want to know what it is. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil? That light is, that dark is light, and light is dark. That bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. Jesus, I pray this won't hurt too bad. And help us to not be tongue-twisted. In Jesus' name, if you're okay with that today, would you say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. Um, I want to, uh, if you would, just help me out for a moment and just prep that person beside you as we jump right into this this message today, this tongue twister. I need you to prep the person beside you and just to tell them, say, uh, uh, pay attention. You really need to hear this. Just tell them that right now. Uh, pay attention. You really need to hear this. I've got to be honest with you. It has been difficult for me to even put into words what this message would be called or, or what this tongue twister would be. Uh, it was hard to even formulate how to say what was in mind that I had uh, we had this thought uh, a number of weeks and uh, a while ago of let's talk about this and I thought of talking about this but then say how do you say this and so I don't know how to say it except this let me see if I can set it up this way does anybody know anyone who has a hard time admitting they were wrong yeah I'm glad you brought them to church today because we want to talk to them and uh, I want to look from this aspect. Here's the tongue twister. The tongue twister is this. Forgive me. I want to change. That's hard sometimes to roll out of off our, mo- our mouths, our tongues. We get tongue twisted Because forgive me is one thing, but I want to change. I want to change the way I think about this. I want to change the way I respond to this. I want to change the way I'm acting. I want to change. Forgive me, I want to change. It becomes a tongue twister because we understand on one hand that it is maybe to say forgive me, that's one thing. But to say I want to change, that means we're acknowledging that there's a mistake and there's a need to change. And I don't know about you, but it's not usually the first thing we like to do is to admit That we need to change. We're usually first to say, well, that needs to change. They need to change. This needs to change. But I sometimes need to change. It's part of this this process. Forgive me. I want to change. What, what comes out of our mouths is not always smooth because this, this idea of needing to acknowledge there's something in us that needs to be forgiven or needs to be changed. We, we might not have a problem exactly with forgive me because we have our variation of this. that we might say forgive me and our variation of this is just simply to say I'm sorry, But even that by itself to be followed up with, I need to change, is not usually the easiest thing for us to recognize because we can easily say we're sorry because we know how to say today, sorry, not sorry. Have you ever heard that? I mean, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard, that sorry, not sorry. But it resembles just the reality of 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 the way we carry things is that I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry enough to do anything about it. I'm sorry, but I don't really have enough concern to change this or to address this or to do anything about it. And so I want to look today at how we can help ourselves to not get tongue-tied in those moments when there's things that we have to acknowledge and have to look at. Uh, Apologizing and admitting our wrong is an art that takes a lifetime to practice. Acknowledging and admitting our wrongs is an art that takes a lifetime to practice. Anybody married? Oh, you got great practice field. I mean, you you get to practice all the time. Everything that we're in, this is a part of, you realize, we realize that in our relationship, that how we interact and, and how we handle these moments really affects our relationships, that, that how we address the matters that need to be changed. So here's some ideas on how not to Apologize. Here's just some tips for you. If you're, if you're not married yet and you're planning on getting married, you might want to write these down. These could help you someday in the future. And here's some ways of not to, to change and to address things. Number one, have you ever heard this? I'm sorry if... How many know the moment you put if in front of there is the moment you've just said this really isn't a problem, but if you think it is, I'm sorry if. I'm not taking ownership, I'm just sorry if. Has anybody ever anybody ever heard that? I meant heard that, not said that. Anybody ever heard that? I'm sorry if. Hey, here's another one. How about this one? Sorry you feel that way. That's not a helpful way to address the matter and the situation. You're not taking ownership. In fact, you're sorry for how they feel, but how many know if you're really going to be sorry and take ownership and do something about it, you have to be sorry for what you did, not for how they feel about what you did, because you can't control how a person feels, but you can only control and take account for what it is we've done. Here's this one. I said I was sorry. Now, when that usually shows up, that means, yes, you said sorry, but you didn't put together the steps as to, I understand what this did. I understand how this affected you, and here's what I'm going to do about what I understand. If you don't follow that process, all you've done is said, I'm sorry. Well, you don't just say you're sorry, and it all evaporates and goes away. That there's a process that in order for that to, to make sense, or in order for that to take shape, there's got to be a follow-through and a follow-up to how this all operates. Here, Here's another one. Have you ever heard this one? I'm sorry I was tired. I'm sorry I was having a bad day. I'm sorry I was hungry. I'm sorry. What you're saying is, I'm sorry that I have an excuse and I'm justified because I had a bad day. The problem wasn't what I did. The problem was the day I was having that caused me to do what I did. How many know that's not taking ownership? Here's the last one. I'm sorry, but you, not a good one. That's like the classic egg toss that you just throw back and forth. Like, see, who can put it on the other person's face? Like, my sorry trumps your sorry because your fault is worse than my fault. You're blaming. So because it's you, I don't have to own as much because you started it. Okay, toddlers. That's the idea. And so what we have to operate with is where is it for us that we have to acknowledge and say this is what needs addressed? If we don't respond well to our mistakes, failures is a little strong. Raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has, everybody, everybody. What do you do about it? How do you respond in life's moments? Because there's without a doubt those areas in our lives, and without a doubt, you're human. So you know what? You're going to make mistakes. There are times you're going to say things you shouldn't have said. There are times you're going to respond in a way you shouldn't respond. There's times you're going to react the way you shouldn't react. There's times you're going to do what you should not have done. There's things you're going to do. The question is, how are we responding in those moments? Listen to this. Our inability to express proper ownership when it comes to mistakes, our inability to express proper ownership and proper intention will keep us from developing intimate and healthy relationships with others. If we do not properly handle ownership, what I need to own, and a proper response of how I need to, the proper intention of how I'm going to address this, if we don't handle that properly, it affects our relationship with other people. It keeps us from having intimate and healthy relationships. You know why? Because everything on the surface is, pretend it doesn't exist, just ignore it, it'll go away. But this whole idea of of taking ownership and addressing affects every relationship. You will only, you'll never learn how to do a good dance By the way, I don't give dance lessons because I don't even know how to dance. But all I know is this, that if it's going to dance well, it means there's two people together who know their turn and know their place and know their position, and they dance to the same song, as opposed to just learning how to dance around each other to different songs. And as long as I don't step on your song and mine, there's too many relationships that are just learning how to live with one another but haven't learned how to really die to ourselves so that we might build up and see health come forward. And in order for that health to come, there are times I've got to acknowledge, forgive me, I need or I want to change. I don't even say I need to change because it's one thing to say you need to do something, but how many know I need to go on a diet? Doesn't mean I want to. But the moment I put a want to it, there's value to it, that I recognize I want to change. I want to improve this relationship. I want this to develop and progress. And in order for that to develop, there's a part of ownership that you have to take in the matter. There's relationships and things around us that in order for those to develop, you have to take ownership. If you don't invest in those things, if you don't put your energy and your efforts to those things, they will never just happen. You will only nurture and develop the things you put your energy and emphasis to. Whatever you make important, whatever you put your energy, your time, and value, whatever it is that you put those things into, that's what will, that's what will overtake, become most important, and will influence us the most. This whole idea of responding properly not only affects, affects our relationship with one another, it affects our relationship with Jesus. Here's why. It starts with him. He modeled this. How many would agree that if Jesus gives us a model for how to have a relationship, it ought to bleed into how we have other relationships? Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What's his point? He's saying, you need to change. You need to change the way that you're looking at this. The word repent literally means this, to change one's mind. That in order for us to come to Jesus, it's not enough to say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Because if you don't change your ways and you just keep doing what you were doing, how many know you've not made any change? You've not repented. If you've not repented, you've not been born again or saved. There is the truth that we must die to the sin, the past, and come to new life to walk in Jesus Christ. Now, there is salvation that is immediate. Now, sanctification is a process. You see, we just use two Two big spiritual words there. What is it? Salvation means to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. The Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. But in response to knowing what he did for you, you can't help but now pursue him. If you know what he did for you, but you keep pursuing your old life, how many know that you're not walking in repentance? You're not walking in the salvation that Christ has made possible for you. It means this word repent means to now turn around and no longer walk where you were walking, but now walk towards him. How many would agree with me that repentance has a big effect on your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's a huge part of how we grow in relationship. So in order for me to grow in Christ, I have to allow myself to stare truth in the faith face and say there's something that needs to change in me and when I come to Christ I come to him and I recognize Jesus forgive me I'm a sinner but I know who you are and the emphasis is not on what I've done wrong the emphasis is on what he wants to heal and bring out of my life and so when I acknowledge I've got a problem the emphasis isn't oh woe is me horrible is me I'm a bad person the emphasis is I know that I've got things that are mistakes in my life but I'm not a mistake I know I may have failed but I'm not a failure I know I have issues but i'm not an issue because i am created in the image of christ and he is redeeming me the old is gone and i'm becoming more like him guess how you do that by facing your issues by responding well to the issues and the conflicts and the problems in life by staring truth in the face and saying i've got work to do god forgive me i need to change Or in any relationship, whether it be husband and wife or or friends, business relationship, whatever it is, there are moments in life. Can I tell you, if you've never been wrong, you probably are the wrong problem, you're probably the one who's wrong. If you've ever if you've been in a conflict and you've never had ownership of that conflict, it's always someone else. And then you go to another person and still someone else. I mean, by the time you get through enough people, you might want to say, Hey, I'm the culprit here. I'm the common denominator. Why? Because you're a horrible person? No, because we all have issues, and there's not one perfect. There's not one righteous. And my, my purpose is to know who I am in Christ. And guess how God uses that and works? The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. He uses you and I in relationship to come to a place that we get to see who we are, who we're becoming in our relationship with Christ. So how, how do we move forward in this repentance that we allow ourselves to take responsibility and invite accountability. Write those two things down if you're taking notes. That the, this key thing for us to grow through these difficult tensions or these times of learning is to take responsibility and invite accountability. There's got to be people in our lives who can speak through this. This allows us to, to operate with a standard. Because if you do what's right in your eyes, and here's the text we read that everybody did what was right in their own eyes, or they thought themselves wise in their own eyes. They were clever in themselves, that they, they were their own, their own wisdom and their own truth. It's a problem when you judge everything by where you are and don't allow yourself to learn because of someone else's position, circumstance, and situation. In order for things to be fixed in relationships, it matters that we come to a place that you're not the truth and I'm not the truth. There is a truth, and you and I both have to learn how to get there. Oftentimes when I'm talking in relational uh, conflict or different things, we'll say this, that there are matters in life that might be lopsided, but they're never one-sided. Let that sink in. Very few times in life are conflict that you have, whether marriage, whether it's business, whatever kind of conflict you have in a relationship, it, it may be lopsided. Let's be honest. There could be one where it feels like the burden is shared more. It may be lopsided, but it's never one-sided, which means both parties have something to be accountable for and something they need to address and something that needs to be confronted and acknowledged, understood, and brought to the table. If one person is only one always bringing something to the table, but the the other person never brings something to the table, that means then that other person is not invested to the same level. That's surface. But the investment... How many, goes deep, how many know it goes deeper? That we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Now, listen, you don't get vulnerable with everybody. You don't get vulnerable. With, not everybody knows your business. But there'd be some, there needs to be some people who know really what's going on in life. That you can trust to speak in to those moments. Why? If not, then we're living standard our standard based on what's around us and how we feel. Standard time became became developed in the 1840s, and the reason they developed the standard time is because before that time, everybody told time by the sun. Wherever the sun was, that's what time it was. And usually, it was high noon. That was the biggest time of the day because everybody could easily know it's directly above us, and so it's high noon. So at high noon is when we're gonna do this. It's gonna happen at high noon because it's directly above us. But how many realize that when the sun was directly above you here, it didn't mean it was always directly above the person over there. So it was not a standard. It wasn't consistent. So as societies, and as, as things began to develop, there were those within towns who said, we need to get everybody on the same time. And so they started the town clock. The town clock was at the top of either a steeple or the tallest building in town. You thought it was just nostalgic that they just put this clock up there. It's how everybody knew business and knew how to interact. They knew what time it was. The only problem is every town had their own time and they were off by a couple minutes and even that wasn't consistent. And when the railroads came along, the railroad said, hey, we're going from one town to the other and we have a problem with our timing for the next train because these times aren't consistent. So guess what they did? They pushed to have standard time. Time set so that everybody in the United States operated off of one time so that there would be consistency and everything would flow. Business would move smoother, interactions would happen better. Why? Because there's a standard. How many know that if you don't have a standard, you don't have a good operation and things aren't moving as smooth because there's not a standard for everybody to operate off? Wouldn't you know it? There was a city, I'll leave nameless, it's somewhere in Michigan, starts with a D, ends with Roy. And so it's a Michigan, there's a city that protested this whole idea. We don't wanna have standard time, we wanna do our own time. Why? What is the purpose? What is it that makes us say, we don't want to go alone. We want to do what we want to do. They protested and tried to push against. Guess what? Business started going around them. Why? Because they didn't operate in what the standard and the truth was. So it became separated and they weren't really growing in what was available and what was for them. Why? Because they said they had a different standard. How many know that if you have a standard, I have a standard, they have a standard, we're all messed up and nothing's happening, nothing's moving smooth. But there is one standard it's the word of God it's not your way it's not my way it's the truth of what God's word is and that's the standard upon which we live our lives have you applied your life to that standard or have you I feel I think I look at because if I operate by how I feel then nothing's ever wrong because I do what just feels good I can create my own identity because I don't have anything to point back to that's original I can just make it whatever I want it to be that sounds like liberty, but it's not. It's greater burden burden and chaos. Moves and where it's going, because now you create a standard, you create a standard, everybody has a standard. Do you know how hard it is to operate in everybody's standard and somehow call it that we just tolerate and we're all working together? Which, by the way, have you noticed culture tolerates everything but a standard? <laughs> how crazy is that we're supposed to tolerate. Tolerate everything but a standard, everything but a truth, but we have to be people that in order to live our lives, we know what the standard is, and when we look at the standard, the standard isn't... Well, I just feel like sleeping with whoever I want to sleep with. No, the scripture says keep the marriage bed pure and holy unto God. No, I, you know, it's just pornography pornography, just a little bit, no big deal. It, it's just looking. I'm not acting. I'm not hurting anybody. Jesus said if you look lustfully with your eyes, you've committed adultery. There's these things that we've got to evaluate and let ourselves know that we need to operate in the truth of what God's word is, that this allows us to have the accountability. Without that accountability, without that standard, we end up with deception. Tell your neighbor today, say, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived in these last days. The Bible says that these days are evil. You say, well, am I giving more glory to that? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is this is the moment you better be on your toes. This is the moment you better be in the truth of what God's Word is. This is the moment. I I don't need to study, and I love this about uh, those who, who, who are professionals with spotting counterfeit money it's it said of them that they don't study counterfeit money. They just study real money because they know real money so well that they can, spot, they can spot a counterfeit like that because they know it's real. That when we become people who know the presence of God, know the truth of God's word, that we become so in tune with what God's word is that we walk in the truth of his ways because how we respond to life's moments will determine how secure our lives become. Here's a verse I want to not be in Verse 18, we read this, what sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. What sorrow awaits those who drag ropes behind them, ropes of lies, and are pulling along carts that are wickedness. Here's the picture of this, and I want you to to just see this. This is the rope that is connected to what is in the cart. You're holding on to one end. That's connected to what you hold valuable. Everything that's in there is what you're justifying. It's what what you hold valuable. It's in the cart. You're bringing it along in life. It's secure. Here's the the, the problem, though, is how secure is this thing to pull along that stuff? Because if you don't have a strong rope, you realize you're not going to bring that stuff too far. Do you know how this stuff is made? The stronger the rope is because it gets tied together and intertwined and moves because of uh, because of being thickened and brought together. If you have less of these, that rope's not as strong. But the stronger this is, is because it went through difficult things. It went through places and became tied in a way that made stronger. How many have ever gone through difficult things in life? How many have ever made a mistake? How many have ever had a moment you wish you could have done, a, made a difference and a change in that moment, but you can't go back? Listen, here's the good news. God never says, look at your past. He says, let me take your past and work it into something that will create for you something strong that I can work in the midst of what you're going through you know how this gets stronger because it responds properly to the difficult moments in life and it becomes something more valuable or it becomes something strengthened there's moments in life that we get tied up into things tied up by decisions tied up by wrong actions tied up by bad attitudes tied up by stuff anybody ever had a moment with a bad attitude a bad response bad action I'm not going to say today because this is not the gospel. Well, shame on you. The gospel is not shame. The the gospel is liberation. He's not condemning you because of what you did wrong. He said, hey, I'll take what you did wrong, and I'll work in your life. I can forgive you, and when you trust me in that, I'll weave together and make something stronger that as a result, I'll make you stronger because of what you went through. Now, don't go back and do it again. Go and sin no more, but your past isn't hindering you. I'll take what you've done wrong, and I can work something in your life to produce. How do you respond to your issues and your problems in life? Tell your neighbor right now. Tell you've got issues. Tell him. I'll just make it real deep right now. Tell you need help. You need help. You need help. So I'm glad you're here because we want to help you. Here's what I want you to hear today. How do you respond to those moments? Because even in my relationship with Jesus, there's some stuff I've got to stare in the face and say, I need to address this. Because there's some lies that are hindering us. There's some lies that we're holding on to, and it's not making strong. We're pulling with lies, and that lie is falling apart. How do we respond when we have issues and we need to say, forgive me, I need to change, or I want to change, as opposed to, well, forgive me, wasn't my fault. You know, the problem with it not being my fault is the longer I say it's not my fault, soon becomes, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Do you know that's a dangerous place that's a weakened place in life when you can't do anything about it, which is why one of the reasons... Hillary knows this. One of the reasons I think it's, it's not the best thing to say, it is what it is. I haven't said that for a while, by the way, so I had to bring it back old school. One of the reasons I don't like it is what it is is because usually, or not usually, sometimes it is what it is lands with a, well, nothing I can do about it. Yes, there is. You just don't want to. <laughs> okay, is that a little too, I mean, is that honest? <laughs> so you're like, come on, how many times did it know you can do something about it? It is what it is because you don't want to. You don't want to address this. You don't want this to change. You don't want to confront this. Some of us have tension because there are things, and I realize there are other people who won't confront things, and you can't force that. You can't make that happen. I realize that you can only do with you what is in you before the Lord, and you've got to release that. God gives you freedom. You can't control other people. As much as it involves you, live at peace with all men. As much as it concerns you, how do you respond? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand before God based off what my wife did, what my dad did, what my children did, based off what anything. The only thing that will matter when I stand before God is what kind of rope did you tie when you went through life? Let me. How do you respond to that? Here's number one. Number one, we need to learn to respond with Humility. When you respond with humility, humility is humbling ourselves before the Lord. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we say, God, I'm casting my cares on you because I know you're good. And I know you care for me. I know you you won't punish, but I can trust to you. And when I humble myself to you, I can trust you with the outcome. How many know that's faith, learning to trust God through the outcome? David in 2 Samuel, he took a census and he counted people. And God said, you shouldn't have done that. The, the real issue of that was David was counting what he had instead of counting on God. How many know you always get a prob- in a problem when you count on what you've got instead of counting on God? This was the essence of David's issue. The, the Lord said to David, said through the prophet Gad, Hey, because of your sin, you have one of three choices of how you can be affected by this issue that you have. It's like behind door number one, door number two, pick which door you want. The first one is you can have three years of, of, a, of a famine. Or you can have three months of running from your enemies. Or you can have three days of dealing with a plague. This was David's response. David just simply says this. He says, I'm in a desperate situation. How many recognize we don't always like to be in desperate situations, so we try to avoid desperate situations by pretending it's not a situation? We said this one time before. Well, it wasn't a problem till you said it. <laughs> Wasn't a problem until you made it one. It wasn't a problem. No, you're ignoring. There's an issue. There's something. David said, I'm in a desperate situation, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. What is he saying? I'm going to humble myself before God. When I humble myself before God, I'd rather him save my heart instead of saving face before others. I'd rather humble myself. Pride, pride gets in the way and it's not good enough. You can save face with people, but man, if your heart is not holy and your heart is not proper in a right place before God, you might like look all kind of good on the outside. But how many know we've got a lot of people looking good on the outside, but the heart needs to be mended, needs to be healed, needs to be walking a place of wholeness that we've got to humble ourselves so that we can allow this work. The Bible says, humble yourselves and he will lift you up. God will lift you up. How do you respond in those moments? you start tying this stronger together by humility here's number two you have honesty you respond honestly to what is what is taking place in our lives honesty calls us to come out from hiding out from justification the things that we look at and say well it's because i had a bad day it's because this was done to me it's because of that no honesty says yep i need to address that honesty says this is a concern honesty says i need to do something about this when was the last time you've been honest It's hard trying to work with people who aren't honest. Do you know what kind of bad business deal to have with dishonest people? So don't be that kind of spouse or that kind of friend or that kind of person. What am I saying? Be honest. Confront the things that need to be confronted. Deal with in honesty those things of of, of issues that are coming along. Here's the danger of not dealing with honesty. Honesty. The danger is this, that the longer we go with honesty, it opens the door to idolatry. Dishonesty opens the door to idolatry. Why? Because when you tell lies, you pull along with things of lies. Lies are things that are meaningless, but you give life to meaningless things. When you become dishonest, you're giving life to meaningless things. What you're saying is, I have an excuse, and so now I'm giving life to an excuse that in reality is lifeless but I'm giving value to that and I'm opening up the door to idolatry because in idolatry what they would do is they would create false gods and they would worship them as real gods so they would take what was not real and give it meaning be careful of the excuses that you've given meaning to because by giving excuse or giving meaning to excuses you've opened a door to idolatry you have said God's truth is not the same as my justification and my lie and my thing that I've held on to and say, well, I can't serve God. I can't make that right decision. I can't be honest. I can't be. I can't. You follow me? That it opens up the door to, to an idolatry and, and it hinders us. Isaiah 520 says, What sorrow for those who say evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. It's not this transfer of one thing over the other, it's this that there's no more standard. Church, there will always be a standard. The standard is the word of God. The standard is not a sword to whip and to beat, or is not a, a club to whip and beat, but the sword is. In fact, does the opposite that divides bone and marrow doing surgery and working upon my life to bring me into line to the truth of what God's word is. Let me give you the last one. We respond in humility and honesty. And lastly, we respond in healing. Worship team's coming and uh, we're, we're gonna close this, but when you go through these moments, are you looking for healing? Or are you just looking for it to get out of the way you, you ever have something that you know you need to confront and instead of confronting it you're just hoping it'll blow over oh, don't raise your hand that's odd oh. and you just want it to go away you know the problem with that is nothing ever just goes away it never vanishes it only gets pushed out by something greater if you are sick in your body and you need you have a cold, let's go to the basic. You got a cold? Your cold doesn't just go away. Your body becomes strengthened in the healthy things that overtake the unhealthy things. The cold doesn't go away because if you're not healthy, how many know even the smallest cold can cause a big problem to an unhealthy person? But if there's health, that health begins to rise up and pushes out the unhealthy. What's my point? My point is this. You don't ever just wish it away and hope it goes away because healing is not when something goes away. Healing is when the attribute that is greater rises up and pushes that unhealthiness out and moves and overtakes and overcomes what is unhealthy. So how you respond. Yes, you and I have life issues. We make mistakes. We don't always respond right. We we, we we respond in wrong words. We have bad attitudes. There's things in life. I'm not justifying that, but let's be real. There's not one person in this room that's going to respond perfect every moment and every time with the right attitude, with the right words, with the right way of responding. How many recognize today you're not perfect? <laughs> So I'm not surprising you here, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you. No, we're gonna have issues. But when I respond to this with healing, it puts together this rope that becomes not connected to lies, but it becomes connected to truth and it sustains. I um I, I want to close with with this, and um the encouragement today is. How secure are you in the decisions that we're making? Um, Because whatever you're in, in, in moments, there's something you've got to work on. Have you confronted it, or is it still someone else's fault? Let me just be honest with you. There is another person who has some fault in this issue. But right now, they don't matter. The blinders are it's you and Jesus. You've got to deal with your issues. And when it's time, are you building something secure or is it weak? I want you to picture today that you're standing or you're in the ocean and you need rescued. And if you need rescued, how many know that God wants to rescue you? Imagine this that you need rescued, and what do you know? You have a rope with you. What do you know? And this rope is made up of the response and decisions and the way that you're addressing the way you're responding to things. And here it is, this rope you're holding with you. And it's time for you to be rescued. And someone is at the top and says, "Hey, I can rescue you. Throw me your rope." And so you throw them your rope. Now pull me out. Not really. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to come off the stage. I'll, I'll take it back. But you could pull, but but imagine this is only because we respond properly, but here's the problem some of us are in right now and the lives that we're in. I'm in trouble. I got issues. There's concern. Hey, pull me out. Pull me out. Some of you, yeah, 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 my turn, my turn. Pull some of you today are connected to the stuff in life. It's just falling apart and you wonder where God is. And all the while, there's this other one. That when you respond in truth, it will sustain. Go ahead and pull. Don't pull me off, huh? You're stronger than I am. You pull, pull. Still didn't break. I should (laughs) slick. Let me ask you today. Help. God help me. I don't want to change. I just want you to get me out of this. I don't want to repent. I just, I just want things to be different. God, help me. And it just keeps, why is it this? I've been coming to church. I've been doing this. I've been, all of a sudden it's just breaking. Why? Because you've not repented. and said, forgive me. I want to change. And the want by itself is not enough. But you need that before God because the only way you can change is by the power and the grace of God at work in your life. But here's the other one. God, help me. God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. God, I need your help. God, I know that there's things in my life that I need to repent, that I need to change. There's attitudes I've justified. There's, there's lies I've told. There's things, there's deceit that I've allowed to justify and blame it on the other thing. But God, today... I need you to help me.